Hi, welcome to Sunrise Weekly, Episode 2, Beyond Bernie Sanders. I'm Crystal, co-leader with Sunrise El Paso and founding member of Frontera Water Protection Alliance. I'm here with Gracie, fellow member of Sunrise and DSA, to talk more about uh, Bernie Sanders. Sunrise National endorsed Bernie Sanders because he had the best climate justice uh, policies as detailed in the Green New Deal Federal Policy Guideline. Some key points of this federal guideline were to transform our energy system to 100% renewable energies and to create 20 million jobs needed to solve the climate crisis. Ensure a just transition for communities and workers, including fossil fuel workers. Ensure justice for frontline communities, especially under-resourced groups of communities of color, Native Americans, peoples with disabilities, children, and the elderly. Invest in conservation and public lands to heal our soils, forests, and prairie lands, and end the greed of the fossil fuel industry and hold them accountable. The DNC established and active, uh, has actively worked to block Bernie Sanders from being the nominee in the Democratic uh, Convention. DNC established, establishment has actively worked to block Bernie Sanders from being the nominee. In 2016, Documents leaked that demonstrated that the DNC officials coordinated with the mainstream media to push Hillary over Bernie Sanders. WikiLeaks actually posted 20,000 emails sent between top committee officials criticizing and even mocking Bernie, even though the DNC publicly insisted that they were neutral in the race and as reported in the NYC Times. WikiLeaks posted 20,000 emails sent between top committee officials criticizing and even mocking Bernie Sanders even though the DNC publicly insisted that they were neutral in, in the race, as reported in the New York Times. At the Democratic National Convention, to undermine him with votes, officials started before all delegates could properly register and enter the main auditorium at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, according to the Chicago Tribune. Fast forward to 2020, after the South Carolina Convention, Bernie was doing awesome, kicking ass, and taking names at the first set of caucuses, at Nevada, Iowa, and New Hampshire and was leading by far. Then hits the South Carolina convention in which Biden came out of nowhere and picked up the Mario Brothers speed flower and started winning delegates consistently ahead of Bernie. What happened? Democracy Now! reported that a new Reuters poll at the time in February shows that Senator Sanders has overtaken former Vice President Joe Biden in support among African Americans. The, port, the poll was released just hours before the convention in South Carolina, with 26% planning on voting for Bernie and while 15% only voting for Biden. Kevin Alexander Gray, a longtime activist and organizer and author of Waiting for Lightning to Strike, hypothesized three days before the convention that older black voters would vote for Biden because his connection to former President Obama, while the younger generations would vote with Bernie. And still, after expecting that Bernie would take this one home as well, he lost the primary. Statistics show in El Paso that a large number of people came out and voted for Bernie. About 25,000 people in El Paso voted for him. He won El Paso by far, according to election, election results in our county. As for the GOP, Trump received 91% of, of votes cast for the primary, about 17,000 votes. And that's scary. Um, I want to ask. I want to talk. I wanted to ask you if you wanted to share anything about the um, establishment coup after the South Carolina convention. 
Absolutely, yeah. The thing is that we really do have to call it an establishment coup because that's exactly what it was. Um, Bernie Sanders was on a clear path to victory. Um, the, the myth of electability had completely been dispelled by the way that he performed in Iowa, in New Hampshire, especially in Nevada. In Nevada, he won the state um, against all odds because uh, organizers on the ground brought out the mainly Latino culinary unions to the polls. They delivered Bernie Sanders um, the, the victory in Nevada. And it seemed at that time that Joe Biden's campaign was literally dead in the water. There was no way for what seemed to be the front runner at the beginning of the campaign to go forward. It was, you know, people were hypothesizing between Pete Buttigieg, um, you know, maybe Liz Warren would pull ahead. But one thing was clear, Bernie Sanders was a force to be reckoned with. And that's something that the DNC could not let fly. Uh, after years of keeping him, you know, as an outsider of politics, he was a bigger threat to the establishment than even Donald Trump. So after he won in South Carolina, Joe Biden, the DNC fought back with all that they could. They took that opportunity to essentially resurrect this campaign that we thought we didn't even have to give a thought to anymore. Uh, we thought that we could move on beyond uh, Joe Biden and focus on bigger and better things. We thought that we could focus on bigger and better things on the East and West Coasts. But this tiny opportunity of uh, Joe Biden winning in South Carolina, the establishment seized it, and they put all of their power behind um, kind of conflating it into a massive victory, you know, the comeback of Joe Biden. Uh, if he won South Carolina, this means he can win against Trump. Uh, ignoring the fact that no voter in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, uh, in all of the first caucuses um, was even concerned with his candidacy at all. Um, so with that, they were able to effectively consolidate all of their forces against Bernie Sanders, which just goes to show where their priorities lie. Definitely, I definitely agree. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, to cl clarify, you know, like the the statistics that or the voting results from the Reuters poll that I uh, mentioned earlier. Um, that was taken because the majority of uh, voters are in South Carolina are African-American uh, black voters. And so that poll was definitely interesting to see because, um, or to learn about because, because after the, I remember uh, after the South Carolina convention, I was, I was so surprised that Biden had won and because I was expecting Bernie, well, Bernie was just, like I said, kicking ass and taking names, you know, and, and um, he, uh, Biden just came out of nowhere, really just, you know, took everyone by surprise. And then to learn that, that, um, it was already expected that, that Bernie would, would win because of what this poll showed for like one example, um, you know, really made me think like, well, what, what exactly happened, you know? And I think it, I think it is because when I talk to, um, I talk to 
different organizers after that, obviously, like, among Sunrise and among different um, groups here in El Paso, you know, and, like, and even outside of, uh, outside of, like, uh, the city, you know, like, just different organizers that I know, and they all actually mentioned the same kind of thing. They all said um, that younger voters were going with Bernie, but that the older, the older generations were, were siding with Biden because, because of Obama, you know, he had, he had kind of had that, like, um, that reputation already, like, from, from being vice president with Obama. And so, um, yeah, I found that, you know, and it, it, it made sense, but it also was like very disheartening for me to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to learn that because, because, uh, you know, I think, uh, like, like a lot of people, a lot of young people, I was looking forward to finally, um, a revolution of sorts, you know, with, with Bernie Sanders as, as being our president and whatnot. Um, and so now, you know, Bernie has dropped out the campaign is over, but on a state level, Bernie supporters are continuing to organize progressive policies within the DNC through the Democratic, um, the Texas Democratic Party Convention. I wanted to ask you, what does the Texas Democrat- Democratic Party Convention process look like? Uh, in short, a mess. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, there's, there's a huge question about how Bernie supporters should relate to the DNC. We want to make change, but how do we relate to the party that essentially did everything that they could to bring us down? The answer is not to blame um, black voters for not um, voting in their own best interest. Um, The answer is not to self-flagellate that we couldn't have done everything, or that we could have done more. Um, The answer is to to keep working with the the not-me-us mindset. Um, So, for example... The Bernie campaign here in El Paso, Texas, delivered a massive victory for Bernie Sanders specifically because we organized the Lower Valley. Um, This is a constituency that is taken for granted here in El Paso. They're seen as people who don't vote, people who are not politicized. And so politicians essentially ignore them. They don't campaign. They don't canvass in those areas. And what the Bernie Sanders campaign here did was adopt a strategy where nobody was taken for granted, and where uh, working-class voters would be politicized through a class struggle. Um, and we wanted to bring that same energy to the Texas Democratic Party Convention. Uh, we didn't want to say, oh, well, you know, Bernie dropped out, like, guess that's that. Yeah. Everyone go home. Uh, we have this infrastructure, we have committed organizers, and that's something that we could we could continue to cultivate. So the Democratic Party convention process is designed to be as intricate and as um, as convoluted as possible, uh, specifically to keep uh, people like those who live in the Lower Valley out. It's, it's designed so that um, only people who are embedded within the party already, people who are already in office, um, get the opportunity to make their voices heard. Uh, and this year we, we went ahead and said, now's, now's the time more than ever to run our own people and to make sure that we flood the Texas Democratic Party with hundreds of delegates, uh, that have never, you know, been involved and Democratic um, convention before, 
and uh, are ready to voice their opinions uh, against the establishment and, and not be afraid to, you know, elevate conflict and, and draw a line in the sand between people who have their best interests in mind uh, and people who don't. So we, El Paso's numbers were falling a bit short in terms of delegates because none of us, no Bernie organizer, had ever, um, you know, participated in the Texas Democratic Party convention. But when we heard from organizers in San Antonio that, uh, that you know, we weren't doing our part to put, to um, get the represent- representation that we rightfully won when Bernie won here. So then within five to 10 days, Bernie organizers like Jean, Car- Jean Carlos Tirado, Raquel Rojo, Javier Miranda, uh, partnered up with DSA and Sunrise members, um, submitted 154 people to be Bernie Sanders delegates. And that was something that had never been done before, according to the party. We were just mass enrolling people, um, doing trainings and and providing information about where to go next. Um, and, And it was difficult to navigate because no generation before had left us any roadmap of how to do it. So we had to find out for ourselves, and there were ups and downs throughout the whole process. There were nights where we thought that we weren't going to be allotted the number of delegates that we we rightfully won. Um, but eventually, the the power of organizing <laughs> and the power of solidarity and networking, and you know, being on phone calls and holding meetings. Um, uh, produced a slate of organizers that would run for committee positions, for uh, executive positions, for party leadership, essentially. Mm-hmm. And in this first round of balloting, we were able to mobilize all 154 Bernie Sanders delegates to push through every single one of the committee slate members, yeah. except for one which was lost by four votes to um, an uh, no preference delegate. She mm-hmm. didn't have a preference for Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Um, either way, but the important thing to note here is that no Biden delegate got onto a Democratic leadership position. Um, and these are people that are, you know, elected representatives that have been entrenched in city politics, that are friends with El Paso uh, local oligarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that we were able to mobilize um, to deliver this victory, even after the Bernie Sanders campaign was over, means that, you know, we're not going anywhere. Um, and, and that's where our influence lies over the Texas Democratic Party. Um, and that's why a lot of people were running, so that it, there's an easier entryway into the democratic process here because people do have a a voice and a vote in party politics it's just that the establishment does everything to do that everything that they can do to quell it um you know it would be much much easier for them if everyone just stayed home and let them do their little business dealings with jp morgan and wells fargo and and they're huge donors. 
Uh, so they don't make this information readily available information about how can, we can get involved. But, uh, you know, thanks to the, uh, thanks to the infrastructure that we had left over from the Bernie Sanders campaign, mm-hmm. um, we were able to spread that information everywhere and create a guide that will last generations, hopefully, and make it easier for, for people that come after us to um, have purchase in democratic politics. Right, right. And I believe um, one, one of the, the reasons that um, Bernie supporters were trying so hard to get into the uh, Texas Democratic Convention, too, was to push policy, really. Definitely. It was to push up um, Bernie's policy still, like, you know, just to keep, keep pushing him through and, um, and do our best, you know, because as I say, when you organize, we win, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, so, yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been interesting. I've been, I've been um, um, trying to keep my attention on what's going on with the Texas Party, uh, Texas Democratic uh, Party Convention. Um, throughout this time, you know, among among everything going on, and um, yeah, it's definitely overwhelming, and uh, it seemed um, like a mess for sure. I I was also um, hearing hearing that uh, that apparently it, it looked it looked like like there were some weird little things going on on the on the lists with um, people signing up for the Texas Dem- Democratic Party Convention because that uh, like for example, I believe that there was like a situation where Bernie supporters that were signing up, their their preference for presidential like uh, presidential um, leader was removed for some reason. Even though people were like definitely mm-hmm. selecting Bernie, for example, you know, and um, but for whatever reason, like that part was just like being deleted or something, you know. So so it, there were some really weird little things going on, yeah. but that's just that's <laughs> just like you know a micro example of what happens. On a national Absolutely, level, yeah. on, on a macro, more macro level, I guess. Um, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know um, that. Um, that, um, like, I knew, I knew that we were doing a pretty good job of getting Bernie supporters in there, but I didn't, I hadn't actually, didn't know that that we had successfully, like, really pushed through, like, you know, to that to that point. But yeah, the numbers yeah. were the numbers were pretty crazy. Uh, That's we awesome. could we could hardly believe it ourselves. And you're right. I don't want to be conspiratorial against the <laughs> de- the Texas Democratic Party because you know um, I do have faith that they're trying their best in times of coronavirus. It's the first time that they do everything digitally, but it seems like the people who bear the brunt of um, of you know things being mishandled by the party are disproportionately Bernie supporters. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know if that's just how the universe <laughs> works in our favor, but it means that we, for everything that, that you know, if, if a Biden delegate sends out one campaign email, we have to send out 10. Um, we reached out to all of these no preference delegates. Um, I think it was like 273 calls and texts within 24 hours. And a lot of them had no idea that their preference was not Bernie Sanders yet. So uh, yeah. with with all of their support, we were able to push our people through not only our people, but also um, the policies, the, the policies and the rhetoric that we represent. So, you know, even though Bernie Sanders lost um, the idea of Medicare for all, the 
the expectation that we deserve better as a community, um, the idea of the Green New Deal, you know, the, the expectation that the working class can move towards a sustainable world without the, the burden of austerity, um, those ideas won. And, and so did the rhetoric. Um, the rhetoric being that, you know, there is a very clear divide between moneyed interests and the interests of the American public. And the questions that we need to be asking are that if the majority of the population um, are working class people uh, and everyone gets one vote, why haven't we been able to vote for uh, working class policies? Um, and the answer is pretty simple. It's something that anyone can understand. You don't need to like read Karl Marx to get it. Um, it's just, it's money that's within the establishment. It's the fact that the democratic party is, um, fundamentally a party that will not support, um, social democratic policies, because that means that the, the link between, you know, their funders and their base gets completely severed. Um, So that's something that we also want to make very clear, is that even though we're working within the Democratic Party establishment, uh, we're doing it in a way that is forwarding a vision where we want to essentially push the interests of you know, El Paso and families. And those are interests that haven't been represented. It's not that we're Democrats first. It's that we're, um, you know, El Pasoans first. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so can you tell me what your, what your personal impression of the Texas Democratic Party Convention um, was and how this process can improve? I know you touched on it, mm-hmm. but can you expand on, like, you know, how you personally felt on it and, and um, how you think that the, the process itself can improve? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are a lot of resources and there's a lot of information that's out there and it's not enough to have that information and that resource. You, have, you also have to make it readily available. You have to make sure that people know about it. And that's something that the Texas Democratic Party has pretty much failed to do. Um, if you want to know how to make your voice heard in politics, you have to go out there and do the research and find out, you know, what even is a delegate? What's a presidential preference? What is a committee? What do all these things do? And that's not a privilege that many, many people have. People are busy with their jobs, with their kids. Um, They can't just, you know, leave everything and go become, like, a Democratic Party delegate. So our our role um, is to facilitate that for people. and it's to, it's to do it in a way that um, isn't like, you know, doesn't only adopt the rhetoric of activism and progressivism, but actually materially advances um, the, the interests of, of progressivism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, something that could be amended are rules to the Democratic Party, um, you know, guides to be put out there, uh, the people on the ground knocking on doors, making sure that everyone knows that 
this is a big deal. You know, this is the next step in the Bernie Sanders campaign. You may have dropped out, but we have an opportunity right now to pass our platform um, on, on the national stage and move the party to the left. Um, that's not going to be enough ever, just moving the party to the left. I'm a big subscriber of the fact that we need a new party. <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's going to have to do with stopping this whole, um, you know, popularization of, like, civility in politics. Like, oh, why can't we just all get along? Why can't... Yeah. Um, blue no matter who? Yeah, yeah, blue no matter who, yeah. you know. Why can't we just, you know, all be Americans? And, and, you know, why can't Wells Fargo get along with, you know, the working class people? Yeah. And that's something that fundamentally, literally cannot happen. Um, you cannot have these banks displacing and, and gentrifying and polluting and then just say, like, oh, well, you know, so they, yeah, that's... <laughs> It's just, yeah. you know, there's, there's no other way. That's just, that's just the way it happens, and why don't we all just get along? And there is value in, um, in approaching political differences with grace, um, always. If not, you just kind of become a person that nobody wants to be around. Yeah. Um, but we can't pretend that there's no class conflict here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we were hoping to do with... Um, engaging in the Democratic Party convention to say that, listen, we have the tools to move our platforms forward and we have the tools to move our rhetoric forward. Um, and no matter what you uh, prefer, uh, we're going to use them. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that has not been, been done or said before the Bernie Sanders campaign in recent memory, at least. Um, Sure. So so yeah, we're we're normalizing and and working the ex or we're normalizing the idea that everyone deserves and can have a better life. Definitely, definitely. Thank you. So there is an and how Bernie's movement has uh, pushed the Democratic Party to the left, and you know during this campaign, um, there is a. Um, a phenomenon that is called the fake progressives. Mm -hmm. do, do you have, do, can you expand on that, what that means? Sure thing. Um, you know, these days it's really popular to be, you know, uh, a feminist girl boss who, um, you know, has to save the planet. We have to, we have to save the planet and stop using plastic straws. Um, and we need to come together and unite. Um, and that's what's going to, you know, save the world. Um, and you see things in, in different campaigns where politicians will adopt the rhetoric of activists on the ground and not their policies. Mm -hmm. um, so we end up with this culture of, of, you know, the commodification of um, progressive movements where you have people saying, we need more female billionaire CEOs. Um, first of all, no, <laughs> we don't. Um, or, you know, Joe Biden saying like, oh, I'll, I'm committing to having a female vice president. And everyone's like, wow, like he's, yeah. he's such a feminist when 
in fact, you know, there are people going on television every day um, accusing him of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that just gets kind of ignored. Yeah. Um, while the fact that he is nominating somebody like Amy Klobuchar um, to a very, very powerful position um, gets celebrated. Yeah. So it's not enough to just um, say these things and, and, you know, call yourself a liberal and a, and a progressive. You also have to look, you, you have to do material analysis on, um, you know, what is actually being done. Um, it's, it's not enough to have more, like, female or, or, um, female, sorry, it's not enough to have more women in power if those women in power are going to keep polluting the environment. Um, so I think that's something that Bernie Sanders had very clear, is that, you know, sure, he's a white old man, um, but he has been in the fight for decades, um, going out and, and listening to working class voters and elevating um, the rhetoric that labor has all the power. His history has been pretty consistent. And yeah, he's done far. it consistently, yeah. which, is, which is insane because the pressures of being in office are always conservatizing pressures. You have the party on one side trying to discipline you to um, platforms that are morally atrocious sometimes. You have billionaires um, and moneyed interests coming in from another side telling you that you will not have funding for your next campaign if you don't don't vote for vote for their policies um so it's been it's incredible that bernie sanders has remained so consistent yeah um and has not had to subscribe to this fake progressive thing where you can have your cake and eat it you can say that you're you're cool and liberal and and yay girl power save the world um but, you know, you're writing policy that has little loopholes mm-hmm. that are going to disproportionately affect um, poor people in the country. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the phenomenon of, of fake progressives to me. And it's so easy to, you know, fall into political idolatry as well mm-hmm. of hearing like a really great speech by somebody who, um, even in local politics who is running and is young and is fresh um, and being like, wow, this is what's, this person is what's going to save um, the government. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's not true. If if any change is going to happen, it's going to be by politicians that adopt the not me us mindset where they work as organizers Mm -hmm. uh, for broad movements um, from the bottom up to um, pose a real threat to establishment and bring it to its knees. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Do you, what, what is your take on, um, um, do you think being a moderate or a centrist is enough? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no um, <laughs> it's a good try. Um, the the thing to me is that, you know, a lot of people are going to be mad, but it must be said, 
Um, is it worse to be very outward um, the way that the GOP is in their loyalty to business? Yeah. Or is it worse to be like a centrist politician who is very low-key and dishonest about their loyalty to business and on the outward kind of um, tries tries to gild their image in, um, you know... More lefty? In, 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 yeah, in more progressive, Democrat, yeah. um, you know, rhetoric. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse. I th- kind of feel like there there is a, a what's the word I'm trying to look for? I mean, it's like okay, so you have one one side just being honest, you know, as 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 horrible and as gruesome and gross as it is, like mm-hmm. they're being honest and they're outright what they are, you know, mm-hmm. as you. But on the other on the other hand, it's like it's like um um it's like a a cute little puppy that's really, you know, not really a puppy. <laughs> kind of, you know, it's kind of like luring, but you, you know, at the at the same time, that's not really what they what they are. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> underlying, you know, like they are really for um, the same thing, but you know, the same terrible things, but not not just out in the open about it. You know. Yeah. It, um, the way the way that I think of it. Um, it's quite, it's quite the statement to make, but if an unnamed politician from El Paso, um, <laughs> who had a lot of influence, happened yeah. to endorse Joe Biden, yeah. I would almost rather it be for the fact that this unnamed politician um, was like getting money or was promised a cabinet position um, than uh, the reason being that they genuinely believe that Joe Biden can win. Because that would mean that um, they're they're not politically strategic, yeah. and I think to me it's a bigger crime to be um, dumb than evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In short, um, but I, I want to believe that at least um, they they are smart about. Um, how bad they are being. Um, <laughs> and not that they actually believe that they can win. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Sorry yeah. to say it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you said. No, that's good. Um, and um, you were talking about normalization of, of um, the plat- Bernie's platform, yeah. basically. And I don't know if you want to touch on a little bit more on the Medicare. Medicare for all, you did touch sure on that. Sure thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Medicare for all seems to be a Goldilocks policy for class struggle candidates. It means that it's not, it's not hesitant to the point where it's like, oh, you know, like we'll give you some health insurance. It's going to be means tested and you might not get it. And there's going to be a bunch of bureaucracy and red tape, but you know, at least we're doing something good. And it's also not to the point where it's like, um, this is a bill to abolish wage labor. Um, <laughs> because that loses you credibility. Yeah. It's right in the sweet spot. Sorry, there's a 
here. It's very interested in Medicare for all. <laughs> yeah. um, it's right in the sweet spot of of raising people's expectations in a way that's credible. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that we all should be taken care of mm-hmm. medically by the government um, <laughs> makes Medicare for all a statement about this country's values, more about policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those values get cemented into the the fabric of what we can and can't have. So something, for example, like Social Security. Um, it's not like... Social Security, a lot of people have tried to bring it down. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that it's not flimsy. Because we as a country got together and said, we want to make sure that the elderly people in this country are taken care of. No matter, um, you know, their income level, no matter their race, no matter where they live geographically, it is a basic value that that um, we should take care of our elderly citizens. And once people got that, um, they're not going to let it go. So the beauty of a policy like Medicare for All is that it's not, you know, it's not susceptible to to attacks the way that Obamacare is mm-hmm. because the the premise behind it is that we all should you know have a right to live healthily and that is something that um, we want to entrust our government to right. to make sure of that's something that um, I will I will be proud to pay taxes for if it means that somebody else is getting quality medical treatment, and if it means that when my time of need comes, I will be taken care of. Right. Um, and that gets ingrained in people's consciousness in a way that it wasn't before. Um, and Bernie Sanders helped do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't cross people's minds that we had not only the ability, um, but the responsibility to take care of people's medical needs. Right. Um, we thought that it just couldn't be done because that's what we were told years and years and years by, right, right, right. by, by you know, guess who? The pharmaceutical industry, the healthcare industry. Yeah. Um, a lot of GOP members. <laughs> a lot of GOP members. Yeah. Um, and Bernie Sanders came and he didn't wait for the polls to look good. He didn't wait for it, the policy to gain favor. He said, hey... All these other countries are yeah. making sure that, you know, someone doesn't die because they don't have the money to pay for their insulin. Yeah. Um, why don't we do that? We have trillions of dollars, and I think something the coronavirus has done has exposed the fact that if the government really wanted to act on something, they can. Um, so that, coupled with um, the, the raise of expectations... The working class is going to be a really great opportunity for organizers to push for Medicare for All. But if we don't do that, um, we run the risk of the of this fizzling out. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can't let happen. So, um, because we don't know when it's going to happen again. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the big flagship policies of the Sanders campaign. That's not something we're going to be letting up just because he dropped out. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember realizing, and this was actually years ago, like, you know, like, while I was studying public health in school, you yeah. know, um, 
um, I had realized at some point and that, um, you know, like I'm not, I, at the time I wasn't sure if, if, um, the, like these, the, this, um, fact was out there or not, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe not being talked about as much, but I've seen, I've noticed that lately it is a lot more, um, you know, put out there now, but I remember realizing that every time that, um, I would hear that we couldn't, we couldn't afford healthcare for all, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I remember Googling, researching like the cost of, um, our wars and the cost of our, the wall and the, the cost of, of our healthcare debt, you know, and to be able to afford healthcare for all was, was significantly less than any of those other debts, even, even independently, even, you know, and I just remember being so like annoyed and, and like, just like, like I wanted to puke, you know, just (laughs) how, 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 just like how, um, how gruesome it is, you know, how, like how, how people who are just as human as anyone else, but just because they might be a little more privileged for whatever reason, you know, don't think about, don't think about others that are not as privileged or like don't have that same kind of access to healthcare that are literally the target of, of manufactured illness in our country. And that meaning like fast food industry are, our, um, like everything, our food, from our food industry to, to, um, drugs, to pharmaceuticals, to, um, to alcohol, you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and, and it's like, it's truly disgusting to me that, that, um, that there are people out there running this country that are just not like, it's completely special interests. That's, that's all they care about. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty insane that, you know, corporations and, and government will go out and they'll pollute our waters yeah. and people will get sick from drinking that water and they're not going to pay the medical bills. And they don't care. Yeah. Um, and it's not a matter of whether we can afford it or not. Obviously, Jeff Bezos is a goddamn trillionaire. Like, yeah. um, um, at that point, that argument is a little bit null for me. It's yeah. a matter of political will. Yeah. Um, and that political will has to come from collective and mass action. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that Bernie Sanders started, but yeah. it's not something that he's going to end. It's going to be us here in, in Sunrise and DSA, um, yeah. in unions. And, you know, it's a really, really exciting prospect. And, and anyone who was feeling, you know, down about the fact that, that Bernie dropped out shouldn't because we've accomplished so much. Mm-hmm. These policies weren't being talked about um, 10 years ago at all. No. It was not even on the table. No. And now it's a genuine, genuine contention. And um, the facts that the Democratic Party fought back so hard, um, they wouldn't have if they hadn't perceived us as a threat. Yeah, definitely. So we're, so we're getting there, and it's, it's exciting. And, yeah, definitely. And thank you to Fantero Water Productions for all that you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And, yeah, you know, I think it's, um, it's been a big difference with, with the youth um, the youth really taking on and stepping up and rising up, you know, because, uh, you can feel it in the energy among the youth that, you know, this, that, uh, the way things are run is not enough and Mm -hmm. we're tired of it, you know? And, um, and I think it's bound to end and I hope sooner than later, you know, but that's like my, my personal feeling that the way things are run currently it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. It's bound to fall, and it will. And um, 
And I just hope that it's like sooner than later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and DSA, they had, you got, you guys had an event last night, right? Um, yeah. Bigger than Bernie discussion with, with some authors, uh, Megan and Micah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you, can you tell us what the main takeaways were from that conversation? Sure thing. So Megan Day and Micah Utrecht, um, they're organizers from uh, East Bay and Chicago, respectively, and they were kind enough to come talk to um, Chuko DSA about their book, Bigger Than Bernie. A lot of the ideas that I have been saying have been stolen from, from them. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I asked them to come, to come give a little talk to us to to um, have a bit of a discussion about what the book is saying. Um, and what they intended it to be, essentially, was, first of all, a pep talk for all the Bernie organizers that were, like, ready to give everything up and, and <laughs> just go burn home. Burn the house down. Yeah. Burn the house down, yeah. <laughs> or, or resort to, I don't know, um, like, setting... <laughs> government buildings on fire. Yeah. Um, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, and also as a strategy guide for going forward. So they have one chapter where they talk about Bernie, where they talk about his consistency, the 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 importance of of what happened, um, and that basically sets everything off. So the thing is that we didn't expect. The American left, the resurgence of the American left, was done in a backwards way. Um, If we had written down the way that things were going to go politically for the American left, it would have been, first, build a broad-based labor movement um, that has genuine credibility and has the potential to become a party, and then, two, get one of their leaders uh, to be president in office, and it didn't happen that way. Um, it happened the other way around. It just happened that Bernie Sanders, um, purely by coincidence, was still alive <laughs> from the last time that there was an American left. Um, he had survived it all, and he had stayed incredibly consistent in his policies. Um, and he got into a position of power. Um, and from that, instead of the other way around... The American, the new American left, had to coalesce around it, had to build itself up um, to support this this uh, leader, to to make sure that his policies had actual bases and weren't just you know words written on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing. Now Bernie, Bernie is. He's not gone. I'm talking about him like he's dead. The poor guy. <laughs> he's still out there. He's, no. still, he's still sending emails every day. He's doing really <laughs> yeah. amazing work yeah. and having live streams. And yeah. you should all go um, watch them all. He has a mutual aid going, too. He has a mutual aid going. That's yeah. insane. Could yeah. you think of an American presidential candidate yeah. on, a, on a picket line who does mutual aid, who talks yeah. about communities, who raises thousands of, of dollars, not for his campaign, but for COVID relief? That's yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Anyways, so now Bernie is, he's not dead, he's gone. Um, uh, and what's left is this new generation of people who are carrying on a long, long tradition of fighting for a better world. And what Megan and Micah's book do is outline how to get there, or not necessarily how to get there, but a few strategies that they think are 
the most politically savvy to get there. Um, the first is class drug block ballot box. That means that we shouldn't completely abandon electoral politics, even though sometimes um, it may seem that the pitfalls are too great, which is definitely a valid argument. Yeah. Um, if we can't put all our resources, all our eggs into one basket and hope that, um, you know, getting one politician in office is going to uh, save the country. Right. Um, but what we can do is run class struggle um, candidates. Um, and these candidates do three things. They elevate the expectations of the working class. Um, we talked a little bit about that with Medicare for All. Um, mm -hmm. They adopt class struggle rhetoric. Um, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, you know, they name the enemy, essentially. Um, and uh, three, they coalesce around uh, labor. They, they don't they, they leave the labor movement stronger than they found it. So even if they don't win, and there's mm -hmm. a big chance that for many, many years, the class struggle of the candidates that we run will not win. But with every step forward, uh, we get a little bit stronger. So that's what class struggle elections do. And that was, that was one big section of their book. The second focuses on, on politics outside of the ballot box. The second mm -hmm. focuses on labor specifically, because... Um, we all know that the, the biggest source of power in the United States uh, against capital interests are um, the people that work for capital interests. So what their out book outlines is what they call the rank-and-file strategy um, and bargaining for the common good. And that's something that we talked a lot about um, last night. Mm -hmm. Um, what the rank-and-file strategy does is um, promote a vision of democratic ownership on a shop floor level and ingraining um, leftists mm -hmm. into the labor movement. Um, the Red Scare was extremely successful in severing the link that there was between the working class and the um the american left mm -hmm. so that means that there are people out there who who know their struggles um they they know better than anybody else uh what they need from government but because of union bureaucracy or because of um you know management or or you know a million billion different reasons, not, not enough time on their hands. Um, they don't realize the true potential of the power of uh, organized labor. So striking, yeah. for example. So what the rank and file strategy does is um, create a layer of militant um, labor organizers on the shop floor who gain the trust mm -hmm. of their co-workers um, in strategic industries, industries, um, for example, like education, healthcare, uh, logistics, Amazon workers. Mm -hmm. uh, they gain the trust of their co-workers and through that bargain for the collective good of the entire working class. So an example that was brought up was this teacher's strike uh, in Chicago in 2012 
um, Chicago teachers ran for, um, or Chicago teachers who were union reformists ran for office in 2010, um, they won. And in 2012, they were able to pull off a successful strike against um, Chicago mayor and, um, you know, cartoonishly evil <laughs> politician Rahm Emanuel. Uh -huh. um, and what they did was they went to the negotiating table with not only um, the, the demand of a higher pay, yeah. but also stopped closing schools in working class neighborhoods. Um, give our students smaller class sizes, yeah. um, you know, make the city better than it was before. Yeah. Uh, and they won. They won that strike and inspired the, the, red, the red state strikes um, a few years later that happened in West Virginia, in California. Um, Denver. I mean, Denver's not a red state, but... Yeah, I think, I think there was some Colorado and Arizona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that Bernie Sanders was there for. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that he advocated for doing. So that's, that's the strategy that, um, Megan and Micah, Megan and Micah advanced. Yeah. The last strategy that they advanced was, was what they called the dirty break. Um, it's a term coined by Eric Blanc. And there's a lot of debate around it, but it's essentially how do we relate to the Democratic Party. And that's something that applied a lot um, during our time in convention. Um, so the dirty break, as opposed to a clean break, where we just say, you know what, um, to hell with the Democratic Party, we're just going to make our own Labor Party. Um, the dirty break does it in a way where we gain power first, uh, and then eventually break with the Democratic Party um, when historically the conditions are right. Um, the problem with a, clean, with a clean break strategy is, you know, you can't just make the party and then wait people wait for people to come to you. Mm -hmm. That essentially relegates you into political ostracization, not because there are not because the people who are running it are. Um, you know, not good people or don't have best intentions or aren't politically strategic, yeah. but because the way that the U.S. electoral system is set up in the winner-takes-all system yeah. is so oppressive to anybody who, who even conceives of, of a third way of doing things, yeah. um, it, is, it is not sustainable. It, it won't survive. Um, and it, all of its focus has to be put on, you know, getting past that 5% to be on the ballot line instead of actually building working right. class power. Um, and then the other option is realignment, which is just crossing our fingers and praying and hoping that if we work hard enough, um, the leaders of the Democratic Party will eventually come around and um, be like, you know what, hey, Medicare for all, sure, we'll, we'll pass that. Um, yeah. And that's... Um, I, <laughs> I, guess I, I guess I just made it by my own... Um, <laughs> by my own interpretation of what that would look like. Um, not, not something that, that we can necessarily count on. Yeah. So um, the dirty break is, is first um, having an, an organization like DSA that is working towards um, being a political engine 
having a platform on which candidates are disciplined um, for a labor, like a, a precursor to a labor party. And then when time is right, um, when we have enough people elected, um, we break with the Democratic Party uh, into a party that says, here we will not accommodate capitalist interests. Mm-hmm. Um, here we are a party that brings working class people together to realize their own power. Mm-hmm. And so those three things, class struggle at the ballot box, um, the rank and file strategy and the dirty break, um, and also, you know, the Bernie Sanders candidacy um, come together to make uh, the book Bigger Than Bernie, which, if anybody is DSA curious or 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 socialist curious, if anyone even if it, if anyone even like likes Bernie a little bit, um, I do recommend it um, among many many other books. Um, if you have time now in quarantine, they're all fifty percent off on Verso. <laughs> I don't want to be, become an advertisement for it, but um, those are things that that we took away from the conversation. Um, and it's going to be a long road to applying it here in El Paso because mm-hmm. our context is so different. Yeah. We're an immigrant community, we're, we're a working class community, and we're controlled by like three or four oligarchs. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll name them. I won't name them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I could name them. <laughs> um, so, so that was what happened with, with Bigger Than Burning. And thank you to, to DSA and Sunrise for allowing Megan and Micah um, the space to, to talk about their strategies. Um, and I can't wait to continue the discussion about where to go next because, yeah. because we can read all we want, but if we're not right. um, doing the work, uh, what was it for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I completely understand. Um, I think this is another book that, um, that we wanted to kind of promote. It's called Why We Need a Green New Deal. And it's forwarded by Neil Klein with other uh, uh, four other authors. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know. Have you, ever, have you read this yet? I have not. But um, I, be, I believe another Sunrise member here with El Paso, um, here with Sunrise El Paso, um, really liked this book. And so, so this is another, if you'd like to, to check that book out as well. Um, thank you, Gracie, thank for, you, <laughs> for taking the time today, and um, thank you all for watching. I'm Crystal again, this is Gracie, and we're a part of Sunrise El Paso.